Welcome to Fleet News Group Podcast. I'm Caroline Falls and today I'm at the Sydney International Convention Centre for expos and conferences, um, actually two, uh, Nat Roads and Traffic and uh, e-mobility. So they're showcasing all the latest automotive technology. There's even a wall of little tiny booths for startups. I'm here with Colin Jennings, Head of Government Relations at the Motor Traders Association of New South Wales. I heard him talk earlier today about uh, the whole EV transition in Australia and particularly some of the constraints um, on that journey. So uh, there was one in particular I wanted to share with our audience. So first of all, welcome, Colin. Thank you, Carolyn. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I was just sort of like alluding to this uh, session you gave this morning where you were talking about one of the critical issues for the success of adoption in Australia is that we have a workforce of mechanics that are trained in EVs. And so it really is an area I don't have, um, you know, a lot of knowledge about. But if you could, like, you know, set the scene for us and what's required. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things about the EV transition is that um, underneath all of of the hype around and, and, you know, the push towards EVs is the the workforce underneath it um so in in australia just in mechanics and you know this is excluding areas like auto electricians and body repairers and tow truck drivers and there's just over 116,000 employable uh, people employed in in motor mechanics evs are a, a different a different system, they're a different vehicle and they require different skills. Um, and part of that is to be able to safely work on the vehicle because they are a battery and they've got lots of voltage running through them. So one of the, the big things we've been talking about is making sure that everyone can safely work on the vehicle. That means basically what we call depower and reinitialize. so basically turning the battery off and turning the battery on again. Um, and this is especially important in areas like body repair when when the vehicle gets damaged. Um, So out of that sort of size of the workforce, we need to upskill mechanics and auto electricians, body repairers and tow truck drivers to understand how EVs work, what they do, how how to safely work with them, how to turn them off, turn them back on again. Um, And that, that is a challenge that we have we we can do it but it's a challenge that we have because we've been very late to the party in getting um getting into the into the ev space in australia um we need to develop skill sets we need to develop um uh, uh, training uh systems so that we can actually go out as an industry and do that um motorized association has been leading that in terms of going out and finding the equipment, getting the training packages together, starting to, you know, chip away at what is a very large um, uh, block. So we've invested, um, so far we've invested about a million and a half dollars in New South Wales and our training 
equipment um, and we're running our training as quickly as we can. We, but that's only been over the last 12 months and we still have in New South Wales, we've got about 49, you know, thousand licensed technicians to, to train. So it's a, it's a big task that's been undertaken by, by industry, but it's an important task because there's two things. One, it's the safety of the worker. The other thing too is the confidence of the market. Someone goes out and buys an EV, they need to be able to know that if something goes wrong, they can take it to a um, uh, take it to a uh, a service centre, and the person that they take it to is trained well enough to to service that vehicle, or repair that vehicle, or, you know, take care of that vehicle when they do it. Okay, well, it just sort of raises a lot of questions like why is the motor Traders Association the one that's putting a package together to do the training and not like a some tertiary institution like uh, you know like our TAFE. old TAFE used yeah. to train all the mechanics and and, and TAFE, TAFE are going through the process of doing that and they are they are doing it we saw we had because we're the the industry association we get the feedback from the industry I guess firsthand so we we could see that this needed to be done um, so we tried to move as quickly as we possibly can um, you know, and, and TAFEs around the country are doing it, but I'm not saying TAFE isn't doing it. Um, we know, for example, that TAFE in the ACT has, you know, got the same sort of training equipment as we have, and, and you know, I think there's another one in uh, Victoria. Um, but it's because it's be because we've been so slow, we've, Australia's been a bit of a laggard in getting things going, um, and the industry side of it is probably um, the area where not a lot of attention has been focused. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to um, decarbonise and and you know reach our uh, carbon emissions, you know, goal, um, you really can't. And and automotive is twenty percent of carbon emissions. You really can't get to that goal without bringing the industry along, and that means getting the workforce involved. Um, in that. Um, oh, just a, another quick question. Are motor traders associations in other states and territories doing what you're doing, like setting up packages yes, like they, that, like a training package? Yes, they are very much. Um, uh, it's it's from the Motor Traders Association of Australia's point of view, it is it is critical that we get this done. So, you know, very much our our uh, I know that our South Australian colleagues have. have have been uh, working really hard on it along with Queensland, Western Australia, um, and Tasmania. So yes, as from MTAA, Mud Trade Association Australia, it is critical that we get this done, and all the other states are, are very much into this space. Yeah, you've got a demonstration on your stand um, here today with um, a mechanic displaying how to shut down. Um, an EV vehicle um, because you have to depower them, you know, because yep. of high voltage. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Um, and also, like, is it true that to work on an EV in, say, you know, a, a small mechanic, that they've got to have a designated area for an EV? Because um, I know a lot of garages where yeah. there really is only space for one or two cars. Yeah, there is only one space. It's not so much a uh, necessarily designated area. What what it is is having the the um, safety equipment to, to work on them. So, 
yes, they are. You know, they do carry a, a an electric battery in them. So, if the, especially if they're in for repair, um, it's things like having rubber mats on the floor and making sure that you know the there is special equipment so that you can work on it with with our training. Um, in our head office in Burwood, we do have our EV sectioned off, but that's mainly so that people can see, find out where they are, and no one goes and drives a car off into the distance. But um, there are certain things that still need to be required, so there's special signs to put on the vehicle when it's being, you know, repaired or, or serviced, so that so the people don't jump in and just assume that they can they can work on the vehicle because the vehicle may be live. You know, it, it's it's and that's the thing. So what, what Anthony and, and the team are doing here is showing how to de-energise or depower that battery so that the first step is to, you know, depower the high voltage so that then, you know, you can go, they can go and work on the vehicle safely. And that's part of the process. And that's part of the change of dynamics and training for the industry. And what about any fleets? Do you know of any fleets that are coming to you to for this um, training package for their in-house workshops um, at all, or are we still just too early on the take We're probably yet? still a little bit early. I mean, the, the fleet side of it, um, in terms of getting fleets, there's a transition point and um, making sure that, you know, there's enough fleets. We're, we're sure that that will happen. Um, in so far as, you know, fleets will need to make sure that their vehicles are safe and they're, 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 they're worked on, so their in-house mm. um, staff will, will need to do. Uh, what we say at the moment is is the safety package, which is called the EV1, that's to turn it off and turn it back on again, that depowering to make sure the vehicle's safe, minimum do that. Then there's another stage, which we call EV2, which is more around the diagnostics and looking at how to actually service the vehicle. but. The first step is EV1, get in, depower, work on it safely. Yeah, well, I get that EV1's important, but I was wondering, like, I'm no mechanic, as I've sort of stated, but um, I was just wondering, like, for EV2, as you're sort of calling it, um, like, diagnosing and fixing a car today is just so different to yesterday. Mm. Um, I mean, don't they just have to plug the car into a device and it sort of diagnose all of the issues uh, and you you're not a mechanic and 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 I'm not a technician um, but there are there are different ways of doing it with, with different strategies from my understanding so from what I've been told from the training department so yeah it's it there is technology it's understanding the technology and it's it's you know getting in and using that technology to the best of their ability to service vehicles yeah, so um, I guess the people that have got it right, though, are the OEMs themselves. So are they organisations that you sort of, like, work with to develop the training package? OEMs uh, are there. The, the way the training packages are actually um, done these days, especially with um, electric vehicles, is with the um, Jobs and Skills Council. And, and um, so what they do is they go and talk to us they'll go and talk to the OEMs um, get all the information that they need to put the training package together and then it goes so it's process it goes up a chain it gets checked then it'll go to the um, uh, to the regulator to make sure that we have a, a training package that is fit for purpose that is industry-led um, 
And the OEMs are, very, are, are obviously critically important as they bring it out because they have, you know, they will train their own staff. Um, they will. They also have all the um, information about the vehicle themselves. So, for example, um, I do know that all the OEMs share all their uh, information uh, on the vehicles, especially around safety with uh, ANCAP. Um, and then that's shared with first responders. So there is there is a process of, of information sharing from the OEMs. And those, those, those technicians that are working for the OEMs as they're rolling out their uh, electric vehicles, that will filter through. But it's, it's about getting the, if you like, the sort of aftermarket part of the industry, which is the biggest part of the industry, um, getting, getting that part of the industry upskilled because it, it provides that confidence, provides that safety. Another constraint that got discussed on the panel this morning was just this sort of plethora of different uh, government policies. And I was just thinking like Australia, we've got such a small, you know, uh, electric vehicle numbers at the mm. moment, mm. yet we've got all these different states and territories yeah, and we've got federation. federal. <laughs> yeah. And I was just wondering if having all these different policies, you know, are we at risk of getting muddled and not only are policies coming in, but policies being phased out? I mean, do yeah. you just want to talk about like yeah. I policy? Think, uh, yeah. Um, uh, welcome to my world. Um, yeah, policy is 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 really important, and I think from certainly from the industry's point of view, policy needs to be consistent. It needs to have a consistency because government policy gives signals to the market, and the market is the market. The market will do what it'll do, but it needs to have that surety around government policy. So, you know, um, yes, in a federated country like Australia, where we have you know, nine different jurisdictions, um, federal, state, territories, um, and the way that everything is is designed is that the, the states have control of things like incentives. The federal government can do certain things, so there's fringe benefits tax for for EVs um, uh, in at the moment, so they can control that, but incentives to level the playing field in terms of the affordability rests with the states. So where we've got, um, so for example, in Queensland, they have doubled the rebate for um, electric vehicles to $6,000 from sort of standardised $3,000. Um, in the ACT, they do interest-free loans. So you can get a vehicle and you can get a, an interest-free loan from the Territory Government up to a certain amount. Um, those those signals are very positive signals for the market because it says to it says to consumers and it also says to manufacturers you can come and bring you know you can import the vehicle in and you know you can run it as an either or or get as close as you possibly can as an either or um, and that that was consistent through until earlier on this year when the Victorian government removed their three thousand uh, dollar incentive. Um, and in the recent New South Wales budget, the $3,000 incentive has been removed or will be removed from 1st January 2024. Um, the issues that, you know, flow from that and while the New South Wales government has said that we will invest $160 million in EV charges 
which is good, that's positive. You know, you, the, more, the more charges you have, the more confidence you have. But it does send a slightly mixed signal to the market and it sends a mixed signal to manufacturers about bringing vehicles in um, because uh, are people going to buy them? So there is a very, you know, there's still about a 20% price differential between an internal combustion engine and an EV. Um, those, those incentives, those sort of cashback incentives and reductions on stamp duties and registration exemptions just make that vehicle a little bit more appealing because we, what we do know is that, you know, um, you can charge at home for, you know, nick, you know, as the Americans would say, nickels and dimes. Uh, fuel prices are currently at about, you know, $2 plus a litre. Um, but it's getting, that, it's getting that level playing field and letting the market make that decision on what consumers want to buy. If you take that incentive away, then people are probably not going to walk at it. And so it's, it, it can have the potential of slowing it down. We don't know yet. We're still waiting for data to come out from a long enough period in Victoria to see if it's actually slowed the sale of EVs. Um, we're hoping that it doesn't, um, but it, it, it may just do that. And that's not a positive sign um, for, for the industry, and especially as, you know, we are expecting that um, manufacturers will start bringing in cheaper models. And so when you start to bring in cheaper models, they start to become appealing to, you know, people on uh, people on, on medium salaries. They'll start to actually look at it and go, well, yes, I can actually buy that EV. Um, but if it's 25% more, it's, it's, it might make people think twice. And, and we've been on such a good run that it's, it's a, it almost seems a little bit counterintuitive. It is a wait and see. We won't say that it's, you know, it's necessarily a bad thing. It might be, it might be fine. Um, like I say, the New South Wales government, for example, has said that they'll take $160 million and invest in public charging. And public charging is a really important element because it means that if you do have an EV, you can go and charge it anywhere and you're, you're saving the money. That, that charging infrastructure is still critically important to give confidence that you, know, you can drive anywhere you want. You can always top up the EV anywhere you want. So, yeah, the consistency of policy is really important. It's, it's, it's really important that governments send good, strong signals out that if they're going to commit to um, uh, zero emission targets or reduced emission targets, um, that they're pulling as many levers as they possibly can. And, you know, uh, automotive sector is 20% of emissions. You can't really do it without the automotive industry being involved in it at that level. Well, you've made the point, but I can't, I'm not going to ask you how you're going to get them to become consistent. Um, <laughs> Meanwhile, um, yeah, we were just sort of walking over to this interview space and uh, you mentioned that there's some legislation going through the New South Wales Parliament today that's of great interest to you. So yes. just in a quick... Is, in a, in does a, it affect fleet at all? Um, in, in terms of fleet, um, there's, there's, it's more around the dealership probably um, with, with fleet. The... So in New South Wales, Motor Dealers and Repairers Act is essentially overriding legislation for motor dealers and also for anyone involved in repair. So it's anyone that services a car or, or, or visitably repairs it. 
Um, there's some changes within that legislation and this we've waited for this for three years and we need to get it done um, so that we can we can work on some other things but there's a couple of things in there that might be of interest to to fleet in terms of dealing with dealerships so one is um, there's provisions new provisions around online sales um, so you know understanding that online sales are important um, we saw that through the pandemic. So there's some changes around how dealers um, can sell vehicles online. Um, so there's a lot of dealership stuff for, for uh, changes that will probably be of interest to fleet buyers. Um, the other section will, other areas around repairs, um, we're still working on that. We'll be working on um, uh, getting a license class for EVs done in that as well. But we needed this legislation to pass, which fingers crossed will actually happen today. And then we can move forward to, to get those sort of qualifications for, for EVs done. And you know we'll, we'll see how the dealership stuff works out as well. Fantastic, I'm glad I asked that question because it sort of is a little bit circular from where we started our conversation about yes you know ev training etc anyway um since we're at this uh expo i was just wondering what you have been looking at or obsessing about have you been checking out all the new vehicles the ev vehicles on display have you ridden the scooter or the bicycle <laughs> i i was planning on riding the, the scooter and the bicycle um and then i got stuck up with phone calls to Parliament, but I, I probably will rise good. What I will say is, I was holidaying with the family in Canberra um, some time ago, and they've got electric scooters you can zip around, and they were the best fun to sort of scoot around the lake on a on an electric scooter. Um, my daughter absolutely loved it because she was she was 15 at the time, so she just went. We lost her off in the distance. Um, so, you know, electric scooters are a lot of fun. I will go down and ride the bike. I know that the guys from the training centre have all ridden the bike, so they're all very excited. Um, yes, have I been around? Yes, I've been looking at some of the new vehicles that are coming out. Um, I think it's exciting, um, the range of vehicles that are going to be released into the market and in the EV space. And I think it shows that manufacturers are ready to, to, to get there. Our issue, obviously, is... Um, mass supply and, and, and getting getting the price points right but there are there are small cars um, little city runabouts um, there's there's you know the, the new Polestar 2 is out here as well um, I saw Kia's out here Fiat's out here so that's exciting in in that there's a broader range of manufacturers wanting to show their wares and saying, yes, we're going to come to the Australian market and yes, we're going to start selling these vehicles. So, I mean, I think 70% um, of ve uh, electric vehicles sold just with basically two manufacturers at the moment. So the more manufacturers we get in, competition will start. And once that competition starts, then hopefully we'll also see prices go down. So, yeah, I have been, I have been seeing lots of vehicles and, you know, and, and it, it is very exciting to have them in the space and you know as i say you know from an industry point of view hopefully that'll drive competition competition's always good because the people that win at the end of the day are the consumer so yeah it's been it's been good it's been it's been a good day out here so it's been, been a good. very good day and i like one of the comments on that came from your panel as well i'm not sure who said it but it's like 
you know, all the bits are here now. We've got all the technology. We've, yeah. you know, everything's in place and it's all happening. Yes, it is. It's all happening. It's, it's just getting on with it. Thank you for your time today, Colin. No, thank you, Carolyn. Thank you so much for the invitation. been listening to Fleet News Group podcast. It was edited and produced by Isabella Fiorentino. You can follow us on Spotify, just search for Fleet News Group. We're also on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Our website is fleetnewsgroup.com where you can get all of our stories, videos and podcasts. Until next time, drive safely and take care.